today on Ag News Daily. You know, we, we have the buyers coming in. The packers want hogs, and they want them now. Our slaughter numbers have been down. Um, we're pushing the inventory. We're trying to get hogs to move and maybe keep, a, you know, some guys from holding them a little bit longer. Hey, listeners. Welcome back to a Monday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Tanner Woodrop alongside Delaney Howell. How are you doing, Delaney? I'm good, Tanner, and today's episode is once again sponsored by USB, your soy checkoff. Uh, Tanner, we had an interesting issue arise last week. We did. What was that? Well, on <laughs> Thursday night, Friday morning, we found out that our server had been hacked. I'm not going to say by the Russians, but you know, we do talk about some interesting political issues. So maybe it was the Russians, maybe it was the Chinese, nonetheless. Uh, we were down a little bit over the weekend. So if you missed us, you should be able to find us now. Everything should be back up and running. But yes, interesting thing to deal with over the weekend. Absolutely. And who'd have thought I'd be part of something that was big enough to catch the attention of a hacker. So congratulations to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. It's just we're such a big, huge network. They thought, oh, yeah, let's attack them. Oh, that's pretty good. Hey, it could be, you know, there's been some big things that we're going to hit on here in the news. Uh, it'll be fun today when we talk markets to see what is going on with wheat as uh, it took a big jump coming into the day. But ultimately now we are still looking at weather. So Western drought is continuing to choke the crops and products over there. A lot of that is related to hay supplies in this article from Bryce Anderson. Uh, continues to work on that western half of the United States. Water is in such such short supply. That's a tongue twister. In Las Vegas, has put a ban on all watering of lawns. Obviously, uh, that is a big deal because of the Vegas Strip. But when you talk agriculture, a lot of hay is grown out in that area and uh, seen even more significant less rainfall above them that replenishes their water sources uh, but that's going to tie into what we were saying about the drought-stricken areas of rangeland for cattle and now we're losing hay quality as well yeah and right along in those same lines tanner i was reading an interesting article today on dtn because of course north dakota hits their insurance plant date this week on wednesday the 25th is when a lot of Parts of North Dakota is the last plant date. And it's interesting, you know, this is a little bit anecdotal and they did interview some farmers, but as North Dakota and South Dakota, but especially North Dakota, try to get planted, uh, they don't have very much winter and spring wheat acres planted yet. And so a lot of farmers have indicated that they will focus on those wheat crop commodities first and then potentially have to switch some acres or I don't think they would let ground lay fallow, but it's hard to say what those acres will become that don't get planted by, you know, May 25th here. And and I believe wheat insurance plant date is later. I don't know. I don't have the date in front of me. I thought it was June something, but they do have a little bit more time to get that wheat crop planted. But it's going to be interesting to see how many prevent plant acres do we have this year, Tanner, because I was doing a little digging last week. And there have been two notable years of prevent plant 
Tanner, do you want to take a guess at what those two years were? The most notable years, I should say. Was it 2009 and 13? You're so close. It was 2019 and 2013. In 2019, there was 19.6 million acres. 2013, there was like 9 million, I want to say. Usually we average about 5.6 million acres of prevent plant. So it's going to be interesting, but 2013 and 19 are notable years because not only were there a lot of prevent plant acres, Tanner, but they also had a late planting season like we're seeing this year. So those are two years that analysts are using to compare where we're going to be at this year. Yeah, that is interesting. And uh, hopefully none of our listeners are put in a position as such because it would be great just to get a crop in the ground and ready to roll. But even those with crops in the ground have had some issues as well. We talked a little bit about those freeze warnings last week and uh, received a Snapchat from my parents, Northwest Iowa, going asparagus hunting and uh, the asparagus had been frosted over. So uh, Northern Iowa did see a little bit of those cold temps. Now we have a freeze warning in effect for uh, the Northern half of Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. So not only are we fighting some wet conditions and these areas that aren't getting planted, but even those that do have crops in the ground and up are now, you know, potentially a little bit nervous about how cool these temperatures are. Because Delaney, we're sitting here in central Iowa with a high of low 60s this week. And yeah, both of these last couple of mornings have been very chilly to wake up to. Yeah, you're right. It was not a very enjoyable weekend this week. Uh, I went golfing on Saturday and it was cold and windy. It was not super pleasant. So certainly not ideal weather that we've been having, especially this late in the growing season. So going to be interesting to see how all of those things progress. But Tanner, while we're still on the topic of crops and hay and all those good things, John Deere announced late Friday afternoon that they are entering into an allied agreement with the owners of Twin Pack Balers out of New Mexico, Farmington, New Mexico. They have a, they've got a cool baler. The one that they shared in this photo is like very patriotic, but New Mexico is obviously in Arizona, very big hay areas. And so John Deere's decided to add this latest lineup of balers to their customer lineup and thinks it's a good move here to join forces with Twin Pack. And it apparently gave the owners of Twin Pack a way to continue to keep the business moving. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses forward. But I have mixed feelings about it sometimes when we talk about these types of stories, because it's neat that these businesses get to continue, but also it just leads to more consolidation. Yeah, I I agree. And we we actually just had a conversation, our episode on the Farm Prof podcast released today with John Dinsmore of Arizona. And he was talking about how technology and Baylor's really hasn't advanced. A lot of the techniques are still the same. But it was a very fun experience for me because I had no idea about how they're planting alfalfa and tearing it up to grow lettuce where we plant plant alfalfa here in our area, Delaney, and harvest it for multiple years in a row rather than just six cuttings, tear it up, move on to another crop. So a lot of a lot of cool experience. And I agree the the tricky part with these acquisitions is does it propel the technology forward? Uh, or does it just create a consolidation and a, and a giant gets bigger? But before we move on to the next article, let's pause for a message from our sponsor. 
Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. I just have a quick little piece here. The Illinois Department of Ag announced on Friday that it is going to enforce emergency rules prohibiting the sale and exhibit of poultry at either poultry swap meets, expeditions, flea markets, auction markets, county fairs, and other of the alike to prevent the spread of avian influenza. So the 4-H poultry poultry shows at county fairs now will have to go to an alternative format. This is the first time I've seen a headline like this since this outbreak, Delaney. We know we've stayed on top of it and really reported on it, but now it's affecting the recreational side of the poultry industry. Yeah, and I would suspect that a lot of um, 4-H goers fairs this summer will not include poultry because of that. I think they did that back in 2015 and 2014 as well. Yep. Well, I'll just keep things moving right along here, Tanner, since that was such a great response. But um, after just three weeks, we have actually seen Indonesia lift their ban on palm oil exports. I don't know if you've seen this story, but they said that there was no shortage of palm oil supplies when the original announcement was made. That's what a lot of folks are indicating. But according to Reuters, President Joko Widodo, no clue if I'm pronouncing that correctly, said on Thursday, yeah, I thought so. Um, He said on Thursday that the supply of bulk cooking oil has reached a level greater than what they actually need domestically. So Indonesia's gone ahead and lifted their short-lived palm oil export ban. They said it was due to improvements in their domestic cooking supply. Very interesting, Tanner. Very interesting. That's all I'll say there. Well, yeah, that's a either a very bad miscalculation or unrealistic expectations. If it took that long to establish reserves, if you want to call it that, uh, to open or back up the trading. maybe it was very strategically planned. Yeah, I was leaving that out uh, to dangle. I would agree. Seems like that is probably more likely when you think a little bit along the same lines. The APA is proposing 2023 ethanol mandate to start within four months. So the trade group Growth Energy sued the EPA last month because it was far behind schedule in setting this ethanol mandate for 2023. Then the first year, the agency has a freehand draft of this regulation now and a consent decree. If that is approved, that would resolve the complaint and the EPA could move to that to the proposed renewable fuel mandate by September 16th. If that is the case, it might be finalized and in fully effect within the first four months of 2023. So good to see that is moving right along, but uh, surprised. I shouldn't say surprised. It did take some court action to get there. Well, I'm going to say it, but it's a year. It certainly did. Uh, Tanner, and speaking of something that's taking a long time, it's taking a long time to get exports out of Ukraine, still continuing to get some updated numbers here. Production for 2021, 
Ukraine harvested about 107 million tons of grain and oil seeds. And up until the war began, the country said that they managed to export about half of their intended exports, which was going to total 70 million tons. That means that they're saying there's about 27 million tons of grain that have been planned to be exported that are still stuck in Ukraine, in terminals, on ships, stranded in ports. And so, you know, as we continue to talk about surging food prices, as well as potential food shortages, this is still a key issue that we're going to be talking about for quite some time. It is. And like we've talked before, there's not going to be a quick fix. However, it seems like the White House is trying to do its part to provide a quick fix to the formula shortage, which it's interesting, Delaney, that they were able to have such success in this emergency operation that they couldn't help Ukraine with getting some of their commodities exported. But the Biden administration on Sunday says it used wartime power to help two of the major infant formula manufacturers speed up production following nationwide shortages. So this action is allowing Abbott and Reckitt to get priority over other customers for the raw material supplies to use in production of infant formula. So they sent a uh, government airplanes over to Ramstein Air Base in Germany and flew 132 pallets of the specialty formula back to Indianapolis to help alleviate some of the raw good shortages. So that's the government in action. However, in front of Congress this week, uh, three senior employees of the largest formula companies, one from Abbott, one from Gerber, and one from Reckitt will all be testifying before Congress this week. So the White House is trying to move things forward, but ultimately this has not been new news because of the formula plant that was shut down, that report that you talked about last mm-hmm. week, Wendy, at the news. But kind of interesting to see wartime measures being used in this fashion when there are potentially other areas of the economy, including ag sectors, that could use some support too. There certainly are. And I think like we talked about last week, it's a fine line to walk because a lot of dairy producers are still upset about the fact that they had to literally dump milk not all that long ago. And here we are talking about a formula shortage when there were things that we probably could have done to ensure this didn't happen. Correct. Absolutely. But before you get into your next piece of news, let's pause one more time for a message from our sponsor. Who mapped the soybean genome? You did. Yes, you. Better varieties are on the way. Today's soybean farmers, that's you, are achieving big breakthroughs in seed. How? By pooling your resources through your soy checkoff. Your soy checkoff research sequenced the soybean genome to help seed companies and other researchers bring better varieties faster to your operation. See all the ways your soy checkoff is moving soy forward for you at unitedsoybean.org slash hopper. Well, Tanner, I don't think I have any other news left to chat about today other than chatting markets. What about you? That's where I was headed next myself. Well, fantastic. And we'll be chatting here with Carl Setzer coming up in just a moment. But before we do that, we've got to look at where grains close today. And wheat and corn were certainly leading grains today. Soybeans had an ugly day, and we'll get Carl's take on that coming up in just a moment. July corn today added eight cents to close at 7.86 and three quarters. Dees new crop corn up six and a half cents to close at 7.38 and a half. 
Soybeans today, like I mentioned, had a little bit of a sell-off today with the July contract losing 18 and a half cents to close at 1686 and three quarters. November down four and three quarters cents, closing the day out at 1517. Chicago wheat higher today as the July contract added 23 and a half cents, settling at 1192 and a quarter. September up 25 and a quarter cent to close at 1199 and three quarters. Livestock today had green across the screen as June live cattle added a dollar twenty to close at one thirty two seventy seven. The August up a buck forty two to close at one thirty two ninety seven. August feeders added a dollar seventy today, settling at one sixty five sixty two. September closing out the day at one sixty eight thirty, up a buck thirty on the day. And lean hogs continuing to see strength here today as the June contract added a dollar fifty to close at one ten thirty seven. The July up a dollar eighty five to close at one ten eighty five. And it's interesting, Tanner. About the first couple of three four contract months here are all trading at one ten in the lean hog market. Lastly, in the dairy market today, June is unchanged on the day to close at twenty four forty eight. The July up three pennies to close at twenty four sixty eight. Tanner, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Carl Setzer. Well, folks, as promised, we are chatting today with Carl Setzer. That's right, the other half of Goddess of Grain, Angie Setzer. Carl is a senior commodity risk analyst at AgriVisor. Carl, how is planting going up in your neck of the woods? Pretty good, actually. Uh, you come across southern Michigan up here. Um, a lot of the crop went in in the past week. Uh, I would say we're easily 75, maybe 80% on corn and uh, you know, probably 50% on soybeans, I would say. And one of the big things Delaney is looking at these crops, um, we have corn that was planted last Wednesday on the 18th. And by Sunday, you could row it already. Um, wow. This crop did not stay in the ground very long. Mm-hmm. We had, we've got heat. We've got ample moisture. Um, you know, it's starting out, and I realize it's very early, but it is starting out like it's, uh, it's going to be a pretty good year. And that certainly seems like that's the case in, in some key areas. But in states like North Dakota, you know, we're approaching an important prevent plant date here, Carl, as they're still trying to get in uh, their spring wheat crop. How many acres of prevent plant do you think we see this year? And do you think North Dakota, those farmers that are coming up on insurance state here, switch to a different crop or take prevent plan? You know, we've been talking about that extensively here. Um, Obviously, Delaney, looking at everything and the way we're shaping up with this market. And and I've got to say, of the guys that I've talked to, up in that, you know, the North Dakota, that Red River Valley, very few have indicated that they're going to take prevent plant. Uh, as a matter of fact, I had one guy tell me last week that, you know, with his yield drag, even if his yield drag, if he can keep it above 60 bushels per acre, which is a huge drag, we are nowhere near that yet. But if he can keep it above that, it still cash flows for him better to plant corn uh, due to the fact of where the futures are, and it's actually a better payout than if he takes his prevent plant insurance. Mm-hmm. So, I think my 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 belief is that where the market is, where futures are with corn and soybeans and wheat, you will see guys continue to plant. Um, 
they're going to lose 1% of their coverage per day. That really, it seems, you know, unless you get way out there, these futures are more than making up for that decline you're going to see in your insurance payment. As far as acre shipping, there has not been a huge talk yet. Now, we did get some rumblings this morning that, you know, some guys may look at going actually more spring wheat once everything becomes uh, available and they can get out there and get in those fields for the simple fact that it's a little bit less maintenance through the year once you get it on. So, you know, it's definitely going to be one that we're not going to know for sure on that until, until the planters are put away, I guess. So do you think the delay in part of the corn belt for getting corn in the ground, because obviously we'll get to take a look at the planting progress report, as we do each week, and it's been trending behind. But do you think that had a play in soybean markets reaction today, or what was driving that move? Soybeans today really, I don't think, took too much strength off the planning delays. Um, matter of fact, to, to talk about the planning delays, take out North Dakota, take the rest of the Corn Belt, and yeah, we're we're going to be behind the average, but we got to take that with a grain of salt, Tanner, and the way I look at it. We have had some incredible, um, you know, incredible fast planting rates in the past years here. So we're going to see that kind of shape. You know, that's a little bit of a factor. We got some, uh, you know, farmers that elected to to wait on their planting until soil conditions got right and 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 not try to force it. And I think that delayed us a little bit too. Today's soybean action came a little bit on the heels of tensions between the United States and China starting to escalate a little bit over Taiwan. But even so, you look at it, the market just starting to get a little top-heavy tanner. Um, You know, we we didn't get a lot of fresh news for soybeans today. We have not had any big sales to China in the last week or two here, and that's what the market's really hoping for. You just see this, you know, we got to feed this bull market, and we really ran out of fresh news for that complex. Yeah, Carl, speaking on demand, that has been one thing that really has kept soybeans moving here. It's just been some of this uh, contra-seasonal strength that we've seen in export demand. Is it all just a shift because of all of these geopolitical and, and food shortage issues that we have going on? Or what's the story behind some of this demand we've seen in the soybean market? Um, you know, a lot of it's been lately here, uh, well, all season we've seen big demand, soy oil. We didn't know about the palm oil production that was going to come out of Indonesia. That's been a factor for us. Um, you know, and we, we keep getting back and forth stories there. It keeps flipping back and forth. The, the bottom line for U.S. soybeans is when the South American crop started to get into some weather concerns, we started to see a few more buyers showing interest in you know, the U.S. offers. And the United States has been very competitive with South America on soybeans, really, all, you know, ever since harvest started. So that's been keeping buyers coming to us. Um, The other thing is quality. A lot of these importers want U.S. soybeans to blend because, because of quality. Now, our sales are actually down a little bit, from where we were last year, but we had a little bit smaller crop and a little bit less carry on. And that, that kind of, you know, is, is leading to a little more demand as well. 
Um, you know, it seems like the demand is a little larger than it might be, but buyers, you know, they want coverage when they know they can get it and they've known they could get it from the United States. And they now know that they can get it at the end of the marketing year. We're not going to run out of soybeans. It's going to be a tight year. Our stocks to use will be tight, but it has heightened the urgency in getting purchases in place a little bit sooner than normal. So you mentioned that no new news to feed the bull market that we've been experiencing in the grains across the board. What is something that our listeners can probably put a keen eye on that might take this bull market and switch it to a bear market? What what types of, of news or areas should we be watching? I'm going to be watching real closely, and it seems, and it is early, but the end of June, uh, we'll get two big reports. Number one, we'll get the quarterly stocks report on June 30th, but we'll also get the, the uh, acreage report, the revisions to the plantings that the planting intentions from in March. We're already hearing talk that corn acres are going to be higher, uh, that corn acres were underestimated in March. That came out immediately, Tanner. But since then, we've started, you know, a few firms throwing around that it could be as much as 2 million off, meaning two corn acres, 2 million acres too low, soybeans, uh, 2 million too high. That would be a game changer. It's, that would add give or take 350 million bushels of, of corn to the U.S. supply, but it would cut the U.S. soybean supply by about 105 million uh, bushels. We cannot afford to give them up. It could end up being bearish for the U, you know the U.S. corn market, friendly for soybeans. I could see us having a mixed report there. One of the big things we really got to keep an eye on, and this the market's been hypersensitive to it, is the the outside markets, the the equities, the financials. If we head into a recession, um, I'm very cautious of this managed money crowd that's been in the commodities. If they start to withdraw their funds, regardless of what we see for fundamentals, this market will see some pressure. Well, I wanted to ask a final question on my side, at least, about the lean hog market, because we're seeing June, July, and August all here trading about a buck ten. really no difference there. What's going on? Why is there no spread action here? Well, a lot of that's coming, Delaney, because, you know, the, the hog... You know, usually you do see, you know, not a lot of carry, but you tend to see a little bit more carry in the hogs. Um, they, you know, they're actually values inverted from July to August. So when we look at it, uh, you know, we, we have the buyers coming in. The packers want hogs and they want them now. Our slaughter numbers have been down. Um, we're pushing the inventory. We're trying to get hogs to move and maybe keep, a, you know, some guys from holding them a little bit longer. Not that you see a lot of that in hogs, but the simple fact that we're at $110 across the board tells me that there is big demand under that hog market, and we're starting to see the cash drive the futures a little bit, Delaney, and when that happens, you tend to see a market such as we have now. There you go. We appreciate your insights today, Carl. If our listeners want to reach out to you with more specific questions or just to connect. What's the best way for them to find you? Best way is to send me an email to info at agrivisor.com and I will get back to you promptly. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you joining us and uh, hopefully here sometime soon, we'll get you back on and have more of a conversation. 
Perfect. I look forward to it. Well, again, a big thank you there to Carl. Great having him on. I like that we're getting to run through the lineup of folks for you, Tanner. Yeah, I'm making new friends every week. That's right. There you go. This is a lot of fun and learning right along the way as we go. Absolutely. But folks, you can continue to learn along with us and be sure to check out last week's episodes. I promise we had some good ones now that our server hack is hopefully hashtag fixed. Uh, But Tanner, they can also follow along with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.